Guess who's Bazak? Jamal Thomas here. You guys haven't heard from me in a while on the podcast, but I will be joining Eva today in an incredible conversation with uh, Mr. Michael Creekmore, a.k.a. the Bearded School Counselor, as well as his wife, Nita Creekmore, instructional coach to kindergarten through fifth grade teachers. Um, Love the convo. Um, Dove into a very important topic right about now, which is self-care. We obviously live in some unprecedented times now in 2020, teachers and students are dealing with a lot, and uh, they both talk through uh, some ways to uh, help acclimate uh, back to uh, this next school year. We talked about um, how to head back <laughs> to the school year during times of COVID. Um, one of the more interesting parts of the conversation was, you know, a conversation around exactly how they want their kids to be treated by educators. Uh, talked about those things and so much more. Excited you guys get to listen, and uh, with no further ado, let's get things going. So thank you both for taking the time this evening. We definitely, definitely appreciate it. We are living in some extremely uh, interesting times, and uh, we we love talking through um, how people are focused in on helping others to to, to operate in the space. And guys, I'm both in the education space, and so you're among the most important people out there um, in, in helping folks to, to navigate uh, where, where we are. Um, you actually had, actually, you know what? I almost forgot. We got to introduce ourselves, don't we? <laughs> if you guys want to run, run through real quick exactly, you know, who it is you are, um, and uh, yeah, let everybody know who you are. Appreciate it. Lady first. Okay. Hey, y'all. I'm Nita Creekmore. I'm an instructional coach um, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I do um, pre-K all the way to fifth grade. So I just help the teachers in the classroom. Got it. Uh, My name is Michael Creekmore, and I am a professional school counselor. Going into my third year, but have a a history of experience in the community mental health capacity. Mm Got it, got it. Definitely, definitely appreciate that. And uh, and we, we talked a little bit the other day about the you know the the, the importance. And um, I don't know if everybody knows the difference, so maybe we can uh, we can actually start there. Um, you know, what's the difference between uh, the type of counselor you are and you know the, what we you know old folks know as a traditional guidance counselor? Okay, so um, <laughs> that's actually like a buzzword or a trigger word for a lot of uh, professional school counselors because. We've fought very um, long and hard and advocated to be considered professional school counselors uh, because what we do is a little bit more uh, in the counseling realm as far as providing guidance, well, just counseling lessons. Um, when you think about school counselors, you're thinking about the social emotional learning components, um, dealing with children and anxiety, group counseling, peer mediation all those things that can happen under the umbrella of school counseling. Whereas when you think of guidance counseling, uh, like from our era, you're thinking more about high school. You're thinking more about helping you get your schedule together. You're thinking more about helping you complete that college application packet. Um, All those things that come into play when you're dealing with guidance. You don't really think about that in terms of elementary school as much as you do high school when when you're thinking of a guidance counselor. So that, that I guess really that is the the differentiation between the two, amongst other fine details, but that's really the the bigger distinction between the two. Um 
And so I just wanted you to clarify for folks who are listening, what age group that you work with? Yes. Thank you for bringing me back to that. Because right after I said professional school counselor, it's like, man, I didn't tell them what <laughs> grade level. <laughs> um, I work with elementary. Um, yes, I, I am considered to be somewhat of a unicorn because you don't find too many black males in elementary schools um, yeah. that are not like principals or um, in another capacity. But I work with my first year, I worked with first grade. Yes, first grade and fifth grade. Um, and I now work with fourth and fifth grade. First grade was good. It allowed me to still maintain, you know, the, the innocence and everything. Get on the floor, playing the sand, well, playing the kinetic sand, building blocks and all of that. But in today's elementary schools, you know, the fifth graders, the fourth and fifth graders are really like your resident middle schoolers. They function more like middle schoolers. So you're having a lot more conversation about family issues that they may be experiencing at home than you would think typically occurs in the elementary school age child. So I work with the fourth and fifth graders. I always call it my resident middle schoolers in the building because that's how they function. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting that you guys, you know, kind of work with the same kind of student population in terms of the same grades and things like that. I'm 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 interested to to take a look inside the window of what that conversation looks like, you know, kind of <laughs> on a day-to-day basis and, and and in terms of you know bringing a little bit more specificity to it i know you both you know have a large focus on self-care so you know what 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 does that conversation look like in terms of how you guys help one another um to become better at the at, at the craft of you know actually helping the students um in that capacity and then you, you you helping the teachers to um do the best they can for students in that capacity yeah, you want to yeah. um as far as self-care I talk about self-care a lot and I tell people this all the time because I struggle with it a lot. So because I struggle with it a lot, I talk about it a lot so that I can make sure I kind of force myself to eat those words when I speak them out into existence. Um, and he will tell you I struggle with it a lot. Um, I struggled with it a lot more when I was in the classroom because I felt like because I did when I was in the classroom, I can relate to teachers and um, what they're going through before COVID and now during COVID um, because like I tell the teachers, I'm always a teacher. Even though I'm an instructional coach and I help them, I'm always a teacher. So I'm always looking for, in the sense of teachers, ways that they can make sure they maximize their self-care because if they're coming into school empty, they're giving their kids an empty cup. You know what I mean? So it always kind of, it relates to them and they're taking care of themselves, but also taking care of our babies that come into the classroom every day as well. And so if they're empty, um, they can't give anything. And so that's where we are right now in the sense of me being like an instructional coach and helping teachers is, you know, we have to get back to the basics and take care and have a sense of community and making sure that our students are well, right? And so that may mean that first and foremost is we're making sure that our teachers are well. And that's a hard time right now um, during COVID because there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of angst um, and so we're doing a lot of talking about self-care, a lot of talking about resilience, a lot of talking about just keeping yourself healthy, um, just back to the basics, just making sure that you're not coming to school uh, empty. If you don't feel good, stay home. And I'm, and I'm, and I really feel like that. You know, I have a friend who, um, you know, she's sick and I told her, stay home, stay home. Do not come here. Take care of yourself, take care of your family. Um, and so on the side of the teacher side, 
that's what I, those are the conversations that we're having right now. And so for me to have like, because I do professional learning, for me to have professional learning on anything else but resiliency and self care is a detriment to the teachers right now. Yeah, it just is because that's not where their heads are at right now. And we can't like Mike was saying on his post the other day that we can't do school like we normally do school. Right now we have to we have to take it back to making sure that we're focused on our community and making sure that they're well. That's kind of where I'm at. Go into that post a little bit, Mike. What I, I, I thought it was oh. that uh, <laughs> well, I, I, oh. people need to hear. I think if you look at my post, probably came back to like May. I've been like really very vocal about how I feel about a plethora of things. Um, <laughs> But really more about, more recently, it's been about the whole battle about going back to school face-to-face versus virtual. And to me, it is so maddening that we went virtual when the numbers were astoundingly less. And now in the midst of of a pandemic, which was handled poorly, I'm not a politician nor am I a scientist, so I don't um, profess to know all the answers. But I do know that wearing a face mask does help tremendously. I do realize that social distancing does help. And I also realize that proper planning prevents poor performance, which means that if you plan to go back to school face-to-face, there are probably some things you should have done um, this summer to ensure that the numbers were down low enough to ensure that could actually happen for teachers and students. We didn't do any of that. We did none of the above. We chose E, none of the above. And because we did that, we're in a position that we're in now and to me, it's so blatantly money over lives because I get so tired of hearing, because like I said, I'm a therapist first and foremost. I'm classically trained as a therapist who transformed into a school counselor. So I know what the social emotional issues that our students face, I know that. But I also know that a student or a teacher that is alive, regardless of what they've experienced, it's better than a student or teacher that's dead or on life support in the hospital from something that could have been totally avoided and prevented. Mm-hmm. And I think as our country has done us all a great disservice because now you're trying to paint the picture like it's all about what it is for the children. Oh, you know, their their social emotional needs. Oh, you know, there's so much um, food scarcity. Mm-hmm. You know, children are being abused. Well, all those things have been happening since the advent of public schools yeah like the same thing happened last summer when we were out christmas break Mm -hmm. thanksgiving break spring break um during the school year those things still happening yes i'm it that it does happen and it's extremely unfortunate that it does happen so i'm not minimizing that at all but don't hand me that as the reason why we're heading back to school when you know what those numbers look like like, don't make that a civil war when you know it's really all about trying to get back to the money because this country has always been about the money. And we know that we're a capitalistic society. So it's really money over lives. So for teachers who are seemingly martyrs anyway, because any, anyone who got into the field of teaching, they got into it because they care so much and have such a big heart, they want to give back. Mm-hmm. So to make teachers go from just, what was that, March and April, we need to be paid triple 
We were about to be millionaires yeah. in March and April. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> you're an essential worker to get your behind back out there so I can collect this check off of you because my child needs to be in school so I can go to work. That's ridiculous. Like, don't hand me that and try to make it seem like it's something that it's not. So my post yesterday talked more about that in addition to just a call to all the educators and realizing that a lot of educators are perfection. Like, even though for some parents are looking from the, you know, from the outside looking in, seeing like, oh, well, Miss, let's just say Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson doesn't care about the student. No, really, she, she cares. She cares about all the students in the classroom. And more often than not, she has their best interest in mind. Um, so it is definitely difficult for Ms. Johnson to walk into it knowing that she can't, if he's doing face-to-face, -face, she can't give little Johnny a hug because she's putting herself at risk. Um, she can't really deal with a student who has a lot of different social emotional needs and try to meet those needs because just her doing that face-to-face -face is now jeopardizing herself, her children, and possibly any, any loved ones at home that may be living with them. So it, it's a difficult time. And my charge to a lot of educators, have, including myself, is to reimagine school as far as what your goals were for the year. Because trying to go about things like as business as usual, you're going to set up unrealistic expectations and have major failures because you're not going to be able to meet those expectations given the circumstances. So we have to change and shift our way of thinking regarding that because we're setting ourselves up for failure and it becomes one big cycle because as soon as you start getting stressed out we already know your body is more susceptible to any disease or any illness mm -hmm. so then you start the roller coaster you're already stressed out you start feeling bad and now you're more susceptible to contracting COVID-19 anyway and then you're out for a while and we don't know what the long-term effects are so it's just it's a lot yeah. it's a lot this is a lot. And so just to kind of dig a little bit deeper into um, your role as educators, but also as folks who put such a heavy emphasis on self-care and mental health, um, what does that look like in the office of someone who is a, is a professional counselor and then the, the classroom of someone who is a content teacher and is like, how do I implement self-care practices or self-care ideology into my math lesson, even though I work at this charter school and this charter school still says that I have to um, keep my kids up and testing and did it in all these different things. How do they navigate both of those things at the same time and hold both of those truths at the same time? Like the truth is that people are out for the money, they are out for the outcome, the numbers, those sorts of things when it comes to education of kids. Um, but balance that with the, with the understanding that these kids are coming back from a collective trauma that we've all in the entire world experienced. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is acknowledge what we're feeling. One of the common misperceptions is we're just gonna push through and act like it's not there. You know, we're gonna do everything the way we've been doing it. And I hate to say it, but only someone in significant denial or only a fool would try to do that. Let's just be real. Like, because we're all experiencing that. So for me to walk into any situation with a student, fortunately my, my district is not doing face-to-face -face right now. Um, everything for me is virtual, but I still report. I still have to report to the, um, to the physical school, but my first contact with my students can't be just 
oh yeah, how was summer? It's more of a check-in to see where we're at because everybody's experiencing things different. So I can't just, you know, go on like, oh yeah, well, what's going on guys? You know, hey, you know, how was summer? Anyone do any family vacations? Yeah, probably not. Probably wasn't any, a lot of family vacations. No one went to Disney World or something. Um, there were no trips to grandma's house if grandma lived in a uh, a hot spot for COVID. Like, it just didn't happen. So let's talk about those disappointments because we know there are many. Let's let's go ahead and open it up and start discussing what that looks like. And maybe then, as we start to get everything on the table, we can build from there. But if we just act like none of that happened and we just go in there and, oh, okay, we're going to play this little game and, everything's fine and you're not only doing them a disservice you're lying to yourself too because really you know that you're not really feeling it either and i'm a big big on authenticity i'm not trying to as I like to say i'm not trying to fake the funk so let's talk about it like yeah you know mr creekmore is not really didn't really have a great summer there are a lot of things that i wish i could have done that i could not do because of you know coronavirus and all those things and let's all talk about what it is that we're feeling because if we don't get it out there and we try to deny it and try to minimize it, it's going to come back up in a different way. So my first suggestion is being real and authentic with your students as you're starting the school year. And it helps you as well. I would say the same thing for teachers as well. Like, so um, in Georgia, they have released the state testing for this year. Right. And so, the stress of having the state testing for this year is is gone. But I think this just goes to show you that we don't need that test at all, you know? So um, teachers are still teaching, teachers are still doing what they need to do. Um, we have a lot of work to do in the field of education and in the field of the, the standards that are asked of teachers to teach. Um, so that's a whole nother um, issue as far as our state standards and making sure that our state standards are inclusive and that can be a part of self-care as well because you know when you don't see yourself in the classroom it's hard for you to be able to promote self-care right but as a teacher you know and what we talk about a lot um, as far as teaching is concerned is making sure that i would bounce off a of mic too is being authentic with your students you know um and allowing yourself to be able to be um to release that as well because like for even for me as a coach and i told you know my teachers this i had to get right with me first before i could even come to them so it's kind of like a hard thing for me um to even go back because we're, we're we're both digital and face-to-face -face, right so i was dealing with a lot of my own self-care a lot of my own um wellness in the sense of how i'm feeling about having to go back into the building um, my level of anxiety of having to go back into the building and even my my authenticity with teachers allows them to also be authentic with how they're feeling and so because i'm open and honest about that and telling them i had to get myself together in order to be up in here and there's even times like i tell them you know when you need to take a break take a break when you need mm -hmm. that moment take them take that moment because there's going to be times of um you know webs and flows throughout your day like even in the day because even for me being back now I'm back with the kids aren't there until next week. But even now I have webs and flows on my day. And I know the teachers do too, because we have now on top of all the other issues that we've had in other virus that's been hundreds of years virus that we've also dealing with, 
is um, the actual physical putting on your mask, right? So now you gotta wear a mask. Now we have to worry about touching surfaces. Now we got, so on top of everything else, we have to do that too. And so with teachers, I just really stress with them and we have conversations about just taking care of yourself. Um, first and foremost is the wellness of yourself and the wellness of your students. Building community, which should be happening anyway, even before you know um, the pandemic, is building community, getting to know your students, getting to know what's going on in their homes, and opening up your life to them as well. Um, all of that goes into self care, and so we want to make sure that we are building communities and having like holistic conversations about our social emotional well being, um, and that is like number one, and that's what you know. I told the teacher today, I was like, that's number one. Like, that's that's number one. But it should always be number one. Right, right. Should always, even before the pandemic, it should always be number one. How do you feel like leadership in, in, in schools, and we don't have to speak about your school specifically, but just, you know, schools in general, um, how do you think that, that they are um, kind of handling the, the, you know, everything that we're talking about? And, and I'll, I'll add something to it in that you, you brought up a really great word that we love to, to use and talk about in terms of reimagining, you know, education. It, it, it appears and seems to me that this time would be the perfect time for us to be asking questions of, you know, almost what, what if we started all over? You know, what, what if we did this a completely different way? Um, are those kind of conversations happening, uh, you know, kind of at the, the principal level, at the, um, at the superintendent level? Are, are, they, are they saying, let's use this time to, to, to make change? I feel like I can answer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best place to start that is in your own classroom. Um, and I'm not saying I feel like that's an active existence because I don't feel like some of these conversations are happening. Um, so the best place to do that is in community and making sure that you have people in your school who are aligned with um, reimagining schools, um, trying to build and add to the standards to make it anti-racist and to make it um, holistic um and i just feel like in some places there are having the conversation um but i don't feel like it's loud enough and right. so if the conversation isn't loud enough and and you're not being heard um in my opinion i think it's just best for you to do it within your own space um and in community with other people who are also doing that in this space um i feel like the more you do that the more it's an act of resistance and um, hopefully we will be listened to more and more, but we have to kind of hit it at the level of, we need more of us at the table when we're creating standards. We need more of us at the table um, when we're having these conversations about what our, all of our students need, but especially our marginalized students and our black and brown babies. And that's what's not happening. Let's go there too then, um, in terms of, you know, more of us in, in these spaces. Um, you know, we, we, took, we have the pandemic and then we have the, the, this larger pandemic, you know, I mean, that we've been going through forever and ever and ever. Um, are, are, are people who are doing professional development, you know, such, such as yourself, like, are, are we, I'm trying to think of exactly how to ask the question. I think from hearing you speak and hearing both of you speak about 
what needs to happen and the changes that need to be made on smaller scales and larger scales. Let's mm-hmm. kind of like dig into and think about if the pen was in your hand, if it was your choice, if it was your opportunity, it was your school, your, you were Betsy DeVos. Mm. <laughs> um, what do you do? What, what, how do we roll out? What, what makes sense? Um, and then what from those things that are more tangible can people take and say, okay, I can do this right now. So like, what are the large scale changes you would make if it was your choice? And then how can teachers on a smaller scale kind of pick apart from that? Because we know that you're not Betsy DeVos and you can't just flick your finger and change it. Um, I'm not even going to get into Betsy DeVos. Um, and so like, just, just kind of talk about, about that from a reimagining perspective. Well, I think to to address it, I know, of course, both need to happen. I think we have to address it at a micro level, but also at a macro level. We have to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is definitely we want it, we're, we're wanting representation, not because we think it's something that is a, is a given, but something that it's necessary. Like to me, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. Like one plus one equals two. So the, the oppressive systems that are in place have to be dismantled. So the question then becomes, how do you go about dismantling? Mm. You know, I think for starters, and I know this is something that's not popular. Um, it will, it becomes a, a flashpoint for some, because a lot of, a lot of people do not believe in American democracy. But I truly feel like if you're talking about school boards and things of that nature, it has to, if we're trying to make systems that are currently existing, if we're trying to dismantle them, if we're trying to reimagine them, if we're trying to make them more, make it more equitable for us, meaning more diverse populations, black and brown. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why a school district that is predominantly black and brown has all white school board members. Why should that be? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. And we see how it happens when it comes time to vote. Voting machines don't work. They suppress the vote in, in a multitude of ways, ways that you and I probably didn't even think would be a form of suppression. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. They change the polling station and make it, you know, move it off the bus line and then move it somewhere where you can't reach it. And then we don't get out and we, you know, the votes don't happen or the votes do happen and votes aren't counted or they just end up sitting on the secretary of state's table, i.e. Stacey Abrams in Georgia. That might ring a bell for some who may be listening, but you know, those things happen all the time. Mm -hmm. But in order for us, I always felt like in order for us to be able to jump in there, we have to of course have the, the seat at the table and it's there for us to have and I think we can have it. Like I know in my district, and I can I can confidently speak in my district, mm-hmm. um, with Gwinnett County being one of the most diverse um, school systems or districts in Georgia. There's no reason why it should be four out of the five board members are Caucasian, where a large majority are black and brown, mm-hmm. and we only have one currently who is black. And a hundred and ten percent unapologetically black, black, like, yeah. and he's very vocal. And was the primary reason why one of the primary reasons why we went from face to face, um, face to face slash virtual to a hundred percent virtual, like very 
very well-spoken brother. And I'll drop his name, Everton Blair. If you're not following him and, don't, and not familiar with him, he's up and coming. He was on MSNBC, young. CNN, very young, gifted, young, talented Young, gifted, brother. talented black man. I mean, he is. Jamal, he make us proud, man. Like, he, he is. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, I don't think he's even 30 yet. I don't, no, I don't, I don't think, he's think he's 30. I don't think he's 30. Um, but that's, that's definitely one, re- and, one way. Right, and he, you know, he actually got on because here's another conversation that, you know, we have in our own silos and sometimes in, in, in the joining silos where we get the seat at the table and we just sit there mm-hmm. and we don't do anything with it. We happen to be the one who they can always say, it's, it's kind of like, oh, I have a black friend. Oh, that's him right there. Like, I do have a black board member. It's him. I got a black teacher. I got a black counselor. We're good. We, you know, affirmative action, we're all for it. Yeah. But are you really? So, I mean, it's, I know what I said was I was kind of like here and there, but I often think about it because I think about a problem and I try to think of a solution and I think about, well, we, we have to get the right people at the table because that's something that has to occur. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but as I'm still thinking about it, I'm going to pass it over to my better half. <laughs> <laughs> She's been waiting, so. No, it's all good. And she'll it's tell me, she'll like, you yeah. long-winded, you long-winded. No, it's, it's all <laughs> The board, like, definitely, the, uh, that was that was a good macro, like, really good, like, being making sure we're going, and also, like, for teachers of, especially, not just African-American teachers or Black teachers, our allies need to be there, too. Yes. Like, the thing is, is yes. this, we can't, we can't do this alone. We need our allies to come and speak up and be there and speak with us. Um, and not just when we're just by ourselves in a room and you saying how, how awful things are, well, I need you to speak that up. I need you to use your voice, um, and attend the board meetings, you know, attend the board meetings and let our voice be heard, um, about the things that we agree with and don't agree with. Um, that's one thing. Another macro thing, like I said about the state standards, like try to get your voice be heard on when they're trying, when they're re-imaging those standards, you, we need to be there. We need to be at the table. We need to be sending letters. We need to be saying, these are some of the standards that I feel like should be aligned to it, to an inclusive education, a full inclusive anti-racist education. This is what we need. Um, but at the same time, like at a, a micro level, you know, I'm, you know, I'm telling my teachers, making sure that you, you can include you know, other races, other cultures in the standards that are set for you. So at a micro level, don't exactly like you have to just teach about the five explorers in Georgia, dig deeper, do your work and find some other explorers of other cultures that you can put in there too. So I think sometimes as teachers, not that we get, I don't want to use a lazy word, but I think they get complacent with the standards that are set before us if you're teaching, and it's not just language, arts, and English. If you're teaching math, find some mm-hmm. African-American black ma- um, mathematicians. Mm-hmm. Find some Native American mathematicians. You know, put those in there. Let your kids be seen. And not necessarily just because you teach black and brown babies that you have to show them black and brown people. Caucasian white children need to see right. African-American mathematicians, scientists, literary um, individuals. So... It, it goes back to at a micro level doing your work teaching those babies and the thing is is that doing your work it begins with you and then once you start that work within you it pours out into those babies and so if you're really for all children if you feel like 
all lives matter, then you need that needs to show up in your standards and in your classroom every day. Beautiful. Well, I gotta fire it up. <laughs> <That's stuff. Yes. laughs> yeah. So lean back and did this. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you did a whole bunch of that at home. You can you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the full taste fool you. <laughs> <laughs> so you you um what if you gonna talk um you know you, you you we talked a little bit about like accountability partners the the other day and it, and it just seems based on this that you know you you got one at one at home um how how do how do, does the way that you guys interact like how can teachers do some of that same kind of stuff even if it's you know outside of your core core relationship how can teachers do some of that same type of thing to bring a better version of themselves into the classroom so he checks me Constantly. Let me tell you. He checks me. No, I'm behind it. Let's edit this part out. He checks me. No, but what I'm saying, I like because um, there there was at a I was at a place where I was muzzled. You know what I'm saying? And so when you feel muzzled and you feel like, and that's why I probably self care so like when I talk about you know speaking up is liberation and when you see that like on my post and you see that it's because I feel liberated and and um there were times when he would tell me you know you need to speak up about that or you need to talk about that you know and I'm like you know because of um sometimes because of where I work um I feel I feel muzzled sometimes and I feel like you know and so I'm at a place where I'm just I'm bothered and so because I'm unbothered, it's a scary place for everybody out there who who's dealing with me being unbothered um, and me being liberated. Um, and so he does check me in that space. Um, and I think in when you're having a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's your everyone talks about your teacher bestie or whatever, that teacher bestie should be able to check you. No, how how do I check? Like what do you mean? Because I don't want people to think I check and say that you're getting too liberated. So wait, I'll call him and I'll be venting and he'd be like, I've been told you to say that. Like you just now saying that? Like I told you to say that a while ago. <laughs> or like with self-care, he'll be like, like I have my email on my phone. And so he'll be like, um, I'll start talking about work or whatever. It'd be on a Saturday. And he'll be like, <laughs> Are we talking about work on a Saturday? You know, like things like these, like this Saturday. Like, and I'd be like, well, I wasn't, that doesn't really impede on my self care. But what it is, and when it's impeding on his self care, so he's like, look, <laughs> he's like, look, your lack of self care is now impeding on me chilling on a Saturday. So, like, those types of things. And I say this in joke, but at the same time, if you have to have people in your life um, that are willing to check you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're all learning, we're all growing. I, we spent this summer learning a lot just about um, anti-racist education, how to go about it, um, more about our history, things we didn't know, and just digging into that, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't, That's a whole I can't with this one. No, and so, who knows? So, like, we've been doing it. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we've been, you know, so um, you have to have people in your space who are willing to do that for you. And then you do that for them. And, and, and it doesn't always feel good, but you know, we call it a calling in. So like he would never do that. Like in front of like, 
you know, me being at work and be like, oh, you need to be speaking up, right? You know, like he's going to call me in. Um, and that's, that's, that's important. That's, that's important for you to have just on any level. Absolutely. And so in speaking about um, having an having an ally in our quest forward and recreating um, and reimagining and thinking about how we can support students best as we step into this new world, I, I anticipate 100 years from now, they're going to be like, there was pre-COVID and post-COVID. Like, yeah. like how yep. it will operate and think about how the world works. And so we'll have BC and AD and then it'll be COVID. Like, that, that is how we will, we will talk about time periods because of how insurmountable the changes that have to happen um, from, from March to, to, to the next, the coming years. And so I just want you guys to kind of talk about and think about uh, for yourselves, what is the the one and two tangible thing that folks can be doing and changing about their 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 day to day schedules to step into this pre COVID? It's not really pre COVID. Schools are pretending it is. I mean, I should say post COVID. Um, and stepping into a classroom as if it's pre COVID. Like, what are the tangible things that you can offer to an educator going back in the classroom, a principal going back into the classroom, folks that listen to this podcast, to say, these are the things that, that are non-negotiables? That, that's my question. Long-winded, but that's my question. What are the, what are the non-negotiables for stepping back into a school community or logging into a school community um, in this fake post-COVID world? As it relates to, as it relates to the the best practices, so that students can leave feeling feeling yes a lot better than they do walking into the into the building. Um, for me as a parent and also an educator, I I want a communal like a communal space where my kid is seen fully. So the thing is, is that that's a non-negotiable for me. And when I say my child being seen, I mean her color being seen, her culture being seen, um, her family dynamic being seen, um, and celebrated, right? That's a non-negotiable for me. Another non-negotiable for me is I want my child's voice to be heard. Like, I feel like you should be able to build up my child where they can be a great debater, right? To be able to question the systems that we have and to, and to know how to question the systems that we have and to dig deep into those systems to see where the flaws are. Those are two things that I feel like I want my child to be seen. I want my child to be a questioner, a deep questioner, a deep level questioner, and be able to um, voice his or her opinion um, and question the systems that are in place. <clears throat> Um, because if you do that, then they will always be the questioner, right? They will yeah. always be um, looking at systems with a raised eyebrow. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's, that's power that you can't take away from kids. Those are two things I feel like that, that um, would be a non-negotiable for me as a parent and as an educator um, in the classroom. Mine would be very similar, if not the exact same thing, but your a non-negotiable to me is being able to empower my children. 
to continue that. Because, oh, the Creekmore household, oh, we, we do that with all four of our children. It's, it's going to get done. But what I don't want is you trying to dim their light mm -hmm. because all four of them shine brightly. Mm -hmm. So the idea of them stepping into a classroom and them leaving out of the classroom feeling like their light has been dimmed or shut off, mm -hmm. I have a problem with that. So having to identify or address because we've done it we've done it before we we were you know we've stood out and you know i'm pretty sure for that educator we're not like aggressive parents but we know how to advocate for our children yeah. because we have two parents who are educators you kind of don't have much wiggle room there and trying to pull the wool over our eyes no we we know about that mm -hmm. we know this is supposed to happen that's supposed to happen and because it didn't happen i need to talk to someone else maybe not you this time let me talk to someone else um so that educator has to have the ability to continue empowering my child my children and we also have to I'm say this and i don't know where, where <laughs> this would stick into we also need uh -oh. more, more black and brown oh educators. yeah okay okay i didn't know where you were we going. need more black and brown educators we need um our kids to see and other children not just our kids but white kids too to see other black and brown educators walk in those buildings, right. being a part, you know? And so I feel like, you know, I always go back to, um, I've been reading this book called Teaching to, to Train to Grasp by Bell Hooks. And, you know, she's, she was talking about, you know, when we were segregated, my mom always talks about that too, because she's 78. She always talks about when we were segregated, it was community. So much better. It was empowerment. So much better, you know? in my opinion. And, she always said, we weren't asking to be integrated. We were no. asking, we were they, just asking for the same. Yeah. We just wanted to have they, equal. They gave us water in the gas tank. We asked for You know, but I feel, I feel like, I feel like, you know, the way that it was done, which just historically, That's black a, educators were stripped from that system. Right. You know, um, and so we need to get back to having more black educators in the education. I mean, we really need, we really need us to be seen um, in the field of education. We really, really do. And so, I mean, and we've had conversations with school buildings and, and leaders about the fact that we need to see more of us in your building where my kids go, you know? Um, and, and it's not always easy conversations to have. Um, but necessary. But necessary conversations to have, you know? Why, why, why do you think your child is not having a good experience here? Because there's no, they ain't no, there's no, she'll see nobody that looks like her. Right. She, there's no one for her to go to when she's struggling. You know, um, her mama's at this school, she's at this school, and, and now you don't have anybody of color in your school. That's a problem. Right. That's problematic. Or the only person she happens to see happens to be a janitor or a cafeteria worker. Right. Like, what, what is that? I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, and they also can be mentors, but we need to see more educators. You right. know, we need to see more educators in, in your school buildings, so. Yeah, I tweeted at uh, the Black Teachers Projects and Center for Black Educators Development, just you know, shouting them for you know for the work that they do in in, in helping to educate educators and and kind of being farm systems for um, adding additional Black students, I mean teachers, into uh, the classroom. It's, it's absolutely you know it's imperative. Um, and then just adding to that, you know, in terms of curriculum makers, we we it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I think 
you know, it doesn't have to be Pearson. I mean, it, it can be um, something that 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 we put together and that that we create. Right. Kind of demand that this is what gets utilized um, to 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 help build our students. Like you, you, that's right. We've had enough. Um, <laughs> we've had enough. It's done. Right. It's done. It's time out for all that. And and you know, I just I just feel like you know the building of curriculum is it should be us doing it. You know what I'm saying? It should be us because we're not at the tables when they're putting those fake news history books together. You know what I'm saying? We're just not. And so you're putting that you, we have to be mindful as educators and as parents, what type of things and what type of history is being placed in front of our children. Right. You know what I mean? And what is being said and how it's being explained. And it's, uh, I've, I've actually talked, I've talked about that as well too. Black, and brown children often have well specifically for us we categorically have to have two education systems right we have to have the education because we have to learn what they put before us but then we have to go home and then our parents our family tells us the truth so a good buddy of mine um has always said you know history is a story told by the winners so they, they can read, they can reshape it, they can lie, they can put whatever spin they want and throw it out there like it's really what happened. And that's what has happened in this country and across the world, actually. So we have to. And then everybody's not like, you know, you or your parents and in and, and, and that when the kids get home that they that you do help them to teach the truth. There are a lot of people who walk around and they never, ever um, receive that. And it's, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a shame and um and yeah we we it, it has to be. He had me at BSU meetings getting called the white black girl. That's what he had me doing. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely does. I never read the autobiography of Michael Max because how did I know? Yeah, it happened. <laughs> it happens. I mean, the thing is, it's like. That's I can know about. I'm talking about all of it. So have you read the, you read the autobiography of Michael McNeil? I haven't had a chance. Oh, okay. The CUNY so. system, <laughs> the CUNY system <laughs> took over my ability to leisurely read. Thank you. Was <laughs> not in the syllabus. <laughs> Always the blamer. Um, <laughs> I thought you had people that call you. Well, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we definitely appreciate you guys' time. I know you got the kids at home, and you know they probably you know run around like mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. Yeah, I know. Do you guys have any uh, any any questions for us? Not so much of a question, but um, more of a statement. I really admire what you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, I think it's much needed. And I, I truly think that it's awesome because there's not a lot of, um, there's not always a lot of space in the places to really highlight um, black educators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you guys have been, have been doing it. So it's not something that, oh, you saw, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's hot now. Now we're going to jump in there and do it. You guys have, have been doing it. So um, I want to say shout out to, Black on Black Education. Yes. Um, not only for, not just for having us up here, but for the platform that you do have because it, we need Yeah. We need it. We do. Her, her idea, the, the, the founder. Yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we appreciate y'all for sure. This is definitely insightful conversation. And, and what I'm gonna do real quick, what you do on my phone? I'm gonna take a picture of all of us together so we can, you know, add it to the to the IG stories and all that good stuff. You know, all you gotta right, do it. <laughs> so <laughs> say cheese. Cheese. Um, yeah, we appreciate y'all. And um, yeah, you know, episode will be out. Uh, well,